It is wonderful that we get to be here and study from God's Word, and I want to thank the elders for the invitation to come and to look into God's Word about being zealous for good deeds with you. You might want to take your Bibles over to Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 as we begin our study this morning. I'm going to put it up here on the screen as well, just for us to all consider this idea of being zealous for good deeds, because it's built on something. Zeal is a wonderful attribute. It is something that we often, though, associate with just young people. Sometimes we think if you've had too much Starbucks or too much Mountain Dew, that's a zealous person. But, you know, the Bible is not talking about a caffeine high when it describes being zealous. There's a whole different foundation. There's a whole different motivation that drives us in our zeal. And I think Titus chapter 2, verse 14, really gets us to understand that. It says, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Think about that for just a minute. This verse is saying that he redeemed us. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross because of his love for us, his willingness to pay a price that we could never pay, we've been changed. But he didn't just redeem us. He didn't buy us and then sit us on the shelf. He purified us. He cleaned us up. Dad does historical renovation, or he used to, and it was always amazing to see people that would buy, you know, this old house or would inherit this old house, and they just valued it so much, and they valued everything that it stood for, that they could not leave it sitting. And they would bring in the restorers, and they just bring it back to the glory that they knew it could have. And God does that. He redeems us, and then He purifies us. He gives us that ability to shine the light that only comes from Him. And then He doesn't just make us holy and make us pure, but He takes possession of us. It's not like we're a bunch of isolated, individual little lights. We're light that is part of His family. We're light that is part of His kingdom. And so we have all these things that Jesus has accomplished. He redeemed us. He purified us. He took us as His own possession. And yet, too many Christians have been redeemed and purified and possessed to be lukewarm for barely getting by. Because they examine their own life and they say, I don't know this zeal in my life. And they look at the Christians that they may know around them and they say, this verse is not matching up with reality. And I want to do something about that. I want to change that. I want the work that Jesus has performed in redeeming me and in purifying me and in taking possession of me to make me zealous for good deeds. And so that's why we're studying this this week, because it is the natural and it is the fitting response to everything that Christ has done. We were not redeemed and purified and possessed just to be theologically sound. Being sound is ultra-important. But he expects us to be doers of the word. He expects us to be active. He expects us to be zealous in the way that we approach our good deeds. So this morning, I want to talk about this foundation that Jesus has given us, all the actions that he has taken, because it reminds us that it's the good deeds of God that will always motivate us. There are some people that when you think about their zeal for good deeds, it's only temporary and it's only based on the circumstance. One month they say, oh, I've got to save the rainforest. Another month they say, oh, I've got to ship food here. Another month they say, oh, the atmosphere, this and that and the other. And their deeds, although they may be kind and they may be benevolent, their deeds are flippant. They're just 
going with the ebb and the flow of what's popular, what's in vogue to pay attention to or to care about. As Christians, our zeal is not something that just ebbs and flows with the culture around us. It's something that we have because He did redeem us, because He did purify us, because He did possess us. It's something we have because of the good deeds of God. And it is a great joy just to know these deeds. Take your Bibles over to John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, I want us to look at the idea that God's deeds really are this foundation for us. God's good deeds are going to give us this unwavering motivation, an unwavering momentum to really have zeal in our Christian walk. Chapter 2 of the book of John, verse 14 says, And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables, and he made a scourge of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. It's zeal for God. Zeal for his house that is the foundation of Jesus action here in John chapter 2. And it's when we care about God and we care about His people and we care about His reputation that we're built up and that we're motivated to continue with this kind of zeal that Jesus shows us here in John chapter 2. But more than this, it also unites us together. It unites those who are faithful. Back in the book of Joshua, in chapter 24, we see that it was a knowledge of God's goodness It was a knowledge of God's good deeds that kept them on the straight and narrow, that kept them focused on the one true God. Verse 31 just says it this way, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's a good piece of information. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Well, that's a great thing to be able to say about them. But what was the key? Was it just Joshua's leadership? Was it that these elders were special men that had special talents that we just don't have today? I don't think so. All the days the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel, these people remembered. They remembered that they were not just serving a name. They remembered that they were not just serving a tent. They were serving God. The God that was able to send the plagues, the God that was able to part the water, the God that had performed good deeds for His people. And it united them in their faithfulness. If we can remember the God that we serve, if we can remember the good deeds that He's performed, it causes us not to forsake Him or to turn after the bales or the Molex or the money or the Mercedes that we might set up as a God for us today. We know that those cars and houses and opinions of people today, those have not parted seas. Those gods of today have not provided for us. But Joshua could remember that this was a God of good deeds that he served. The elders remembered this was a God of good deeds that they served. And it gave them great joy and it gave them great faithfulness. And it gave them a strong warning. Because in seeing God's power, 
They knew that that power was not only used to perform good deeds for those that were righteous, but it was used to punish those that had no faith. Back in Psalm 28 and verse 5, we can read about God's righteous choice to punish those that would not remember His good deeds and that would not follow in His footsteps in being in accomplishing good deeds in our lifetime. Verse 5 says, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the deeds of His hands, He will tear them down and not build them up. They don't regard them. They don't think about them. They don't treasure them in their heart and they don't dwell on them and meditate on them in their mind. And that, to me, is tragic. Part of the reason it's tragic is because if we could get just a taste of God's good deeds, we would realize this is like focusing on the dessert cart. You know when you go to a real fancy restaurant and they're trying to upsell you, it was not enough that you paid $47 for a hamburger. They want you to spend a little bit more money and so they bring out that amazing dessert cart. And they've got everything. It looks like they just sprayed it down with something glossy because the desserts just about glow and there's the chocolate cake and there's the cheesecake and there's the tiramisu and there's just all these desserts. And you think, that looks wonderful. People who do not regard the good deeds of God, they don't dwell on them, they don't meditate them, they're skipping on dessert. And that's a shame. Because God isn't going to upcharge us. God is telling us these things are important for you. Think about the deeds of all that are recorded with regard to our God. In Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, when we read the account of creation that the Bible has given to us, one of the questions that always is asked in the high school class and maybe the college class and maybe in the adult class is how did God do this? How did God do this in just... Six days and then rest on the seventh one. How could have you brought all of this into existence? Brethren, it is no mistake that the Bible puts the emphasis on the who, not the how. God could have emphasized the how, but He emphasized the who. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's meant to put us in a state of awe. To just consider His great ability to speak into existence all that is around us. We should be in awe of His creative power. We should be in awe of His artistic power. Later in the book of Genesis, when He sets up a covenant with Noah and with mankind, it's a rainbow. The beautiful colors that He paints across the sky. Are we in awe of the God of good deeds? When you're thinking about a deeper taste and look at the deeds of promise, that are recorded for us in the Bible over in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, if you look at verse 13 down through verse 15, we have this fantastic promise being made in this context to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. And you say, what's so good about this? Keep going. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your father in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. The promise that God delivers to Abraham here is something that we see fulfilled throughout the rest of the Pentateuch and throughout the book of Joshua and Judges. 
that everything God promises here about his descendants is going to come to pass. And Abraham's not going to live to see it all. Abraham's not going to live to enjoy it all. But it says in verse 15, he can go to his fathers in peace, knowing that God has promised. God's great deeds of promise should stir us in our own good deeds should remind us to be faithful. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. When we commit to help someone, we follow through and we see it through to the very end. Because God is a God of good deeds. who is a God that is faithful. And then we also think about His deeds of punishment. We need to think about those good deeds that He uses to teach us important lessons. We specifically can think of the captivity that the Israelites later endured because of their unrighteousness. Over in 2 Kings in chapter 17, and down in verse 7, we're reminded about this particular aspect of God's good deeds. The Bible says, this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. Look at the emphasis on the second half of this verse. They had sinned against the Lord their God. And this just wasn't anybody. This wasn't just somebody. This was the God that had rescued them. The God that had brought them and delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they had chosen to fear wood and stone. They had chosen to defile themselves in the sinful behavior of the Canaanites. God punishes so that he can save the remnant. God punishes so that the righteous few will remain and so that he can build them back up. And it is good and it is proper that he is not a God that is blind to justice, but cares about justice and is long-suffering with us to bring that justice about and to exalt righteousness. If we look at the dessert card a little bit closer, we see that there's the deeds of love that God has performed. And we could call these deeds of all as well, couldn't we? That Jesus Christ would take on human flesh. That He would be weak like you and I are weak, and yet He would walk this earth with the power of God. That He would live this life willing to experience the temptations that we endure on a regular basis and then give His life. That He would teach us the significance of that sacrifice, that he would teach us the transformation that was expected of us. What great love. Jesus Christ redefines love. It's not just the fireworks. Whenever uh, Tracy and I were dating back in Houston, Brother Pope came into me one day and he said, Philip, you're Twitter pated. He said, I, I can just tell, and he's quoting Bambi, you are Twitter pated, son. But 1 Corinthians 13 guides us to see that love is so much more than just being Twitter-pated. That it's so much more than just the fireworks. It's the sacrificial commitment that Jesus demonstrates in His good deeds. And how thankful we are for that example. How thankful we are for the deeds of victory that God has performed throughout history. Whether it was conquering the land of Canaan or it was raising Christ out of that tomb as Luke records for us in his own gospel. It was the ascension that's recorded in Acts chapter 1. And again, that promise that he would come back in the same way that he had left. God's good deeds are fantastic. I told somebody one time, the Bible is the most exciting book that was ever written. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, we are to be reverent towards God. 
And we are to be humble and we are to be holy. And I said, of course we are. But if we've missed out on the excitement of God's good deeds, we've missed out on something that can unite us. We've missed out on something that can motivate us. We've missed out on something that reminds us to serve Him with humility and avoid the punishment that He's capable of bringing. I want to tell you, over the next month, as you guys go through the little cards that Edwin and I worked on, and as you guys hear the various sermons on good deeds and being zealous for these good deeds, you are not going to have any significant change in your life. You are not going to have any real progress or real growth unless you build on this rock. Unless you build on the fact that God's good deeds are what drive us in our own behavior. And so I want to lay that foundation before you very clearly, and I want to show you why this is our rock for our good deeds. I want to show you two more things about God's good deeds that help you treasure His great example. And the first is that God's good deeds are the actions by which He verifies His character. When we consider just how much we learn about God and His nature by examining His good deeds, which is their important lessons that we would not know otherwise and that we would not appreciate without His own actions. Everyone claims that their God is in some way special. If you've spent much time talking with people caught up in Asian religions, they will tell you how amazing their concept of their gods are. If you spend much time talking to people uh, who serve a false image of God, that they're not looking at everything the Scriptures reveal. They think, oh, I just feel it right here, and this is everything to me, and, and my God is just this amazing God. Well, if we really want to know God, we need to look at the deeds that He's performed. First, these deeds obviously demonstrate His existence. We see back in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 18 that when Jehovah God was challenged by the Baal worshippers, to prove his existence, that the Baal worshippers spend all day crying out and cutting themselves and making a really big fuss, trying to get Baal's attention, trying to call on him to just give us a little fire from heaven to light that sacrifice. And yet when we look at 1 Kings chapter 18, we see it is the true God that verifies he is here and he sees the deeds of men. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves. Prepare it first, for you are many, and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. We come to verse 36, and we see at the time of the evening offering, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. See that? Let it be known. Reveal yourself. Verify yourself to these people so that they are without a doubt. Let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know you. O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. 
And then the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was within the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isn't that fantastic? What I love about this particular passage is that Elijah does not say, Please, please help these people glorify me. Please, please help them understand how smart I am or how accurate I am or how they should have been listening to me and how they've wronged me again and again as your servant. Uh Uh-uh. He says, let them know that I've done all this by your word and that you are the true God. As we go about performing good deeds and we build on this foundation of God's good deeds, we're not trying to bring glory to ourselves. We're not like the Pharisees standing out on the corner saying, look at me. We're the servants of God like Elijah, saying, God, God's character can be seen in our good deeds because God's character is seen in his own good deeds. It displays how much God longs to communicate with us, longs to reveal himself. We see in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2 how throughout the Old Testament he spoke to his people, he communicated to households in ways that are just too numerous to even list. He says in verse 1, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and these last days he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God has verified his existence and verified his character through prophets, through dreams, through the hand that wrote upon the wall, through the miracles where he delivered his special people. He sends fire from heaven for Elijah, but he sends messengers and sends even his son to die on the cross that we might know who he really is. We understand how powerful of a message this communicates when we go back and look at one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. And you look at chapter 2. And this is impressive because what we're reading about here is the kind of uh, conclusions that this woman is able to draw. She's not a scholar, and she's not a queen. She's the harlot Rahab. But even in her station in life, and her position in life, she gets this. This connects. This makes sense. Chapter 2, verse 10, We've heard. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted. And no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Have you thought about God's good deeds enough to make the same declaration that Rahab has made here? Have you pondered and meditated on God's good deeds enough to say, this God, the God I can read about in my own Bible, He is the God of heaven and of earth. And that we would tremble when we know we are not serving Him faithfully. And notice again in verse 10 that she doesn't just call Him lowercase g, God. She is the Lord. She uses that personal name, Jehovah or Yahweh or the I Am that He had revealed in the burning bush. This one true God is just that. 
He's the one true God. And I don't know that as Rahab because I've been hanging out with a lot of Jews and I've been listening to all your good teaching. I don't know that as Rahab because I've seen the good example or the good life of other Jews. I know that as Rahab because I've heard about God's good deeds. And brethren, we need to be doing our part to tell others, not about our good deeds all the time, but about God's good deeds. Because we see that all the way from the Old Testament, even into heaven, in the book of Revelation, it's shown that God's good deeds are proclaimed so that everyone might know He is worthy. He's worthy of the glory that we seek to give Him. He's worthy of us being humble in His presence. He's worthy of the authority that He commands. He is worthy. In Revelation chapter 4, John records for us in verse 11 this great salute to God's worthiness. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. It's God's good deeds, it's God's ability to create that reinforces His worthiness. In chapter 5 and verse 9, again, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. The good deeds of Jesus Christ, they show His worthiness. And so I want you to remember that God's good deeds form a foundation for you. And I want you to remember that God's good deeds verify His character. That He is worthy of our obedience, of our allegiance, and of speaking out about Him to our friends. But I also want you to think about the fact that if you really study God's good deeds, if you really meditate on the various things that He has done for mankind, then it is going to have an irreversible impact on your life. The very first thing it's going to do is set new standards for you regarding what is a good deed. See, how does the world measure a good deed? They say, man, that was a good deed because you spent a ton of money on that. Or, or that was a good deed because you helped all this multitude of people. Or that was a good deed because it took you a long time to do it. How does God define what really makes a deed good? He sets a new standard for us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He shows us the compassion. Compassion is what pleases God. He would much rather show compassion in the first place than sin and try to make up for it with some humble sacrifice. He desires righteousness in our dealings with our brethren. He desires love in our dealings with our neighbors. He desires that we would love Him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We learn from studying God's good deeds that a deed is not just good because a lot of people saw it. A deed is not just good because you spend a lot of money on it. A deed is good and valuable to the extent that it pleases God. Is this something that He can look down at you just as he looked down at his own son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If God cannot look at your deeds and say, I'm well pleased about that action, 
then it doesn't matter how much press you get for it. It doesn't matter how many people pat you on the back. It's not really a good deed. Not only does it define our standard for how we look at good deeds, but it also helps us set appropriate expectations for how much God is going to guide me and how much God is going to strengthen me and how God is going to provide for me the abundance of resources that are necessary for carrying out good deeds. We look and we see the way he strengthened Nehemiah. And we look and we see the way that he enabled the Macedonians to give with great generosity, even though they were in need themselves. We learn that God is going to be there supporting us and strengthening us. And so we have better expectations. More than this, it's going to enhance our faith. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says, The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and He will protect you from the evil, from the evil one. We have greater faith that God is going to be with us in our good deeds because we know that He doesn't give up on His promises. Come back to Titus. We're going to come to the book of Titus a whole lot over the next couple of days. Look at verse 2 from chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. This is the God that cannot lie that Titus is being reminded that he serves. And that Titus is stirring these brethren at Crete to remember that they are serving this God as well. God never lies. He always delivers. He always carries out what he's committed to. And so we should have greater faith. Look over at 2 Thessalonians with me. And here again at verse 3, He will strengthen, He will protect you from the evil one. That's great to know. Because as you get out there and you're doing good deeds, Satan would love to put a stop to it. As you're trying to build your foundation on the deeds of God, Satan would love to distract you and break down that foundation. But we need to remember the nature of our God, that He does not lie, and that He will strengthen A third thing that impacts us is that God's good deeds are going to touch your heart. When you pause and you consider that these are not just storybook characters, but these are real people that God expended His effort and energy toward in love to save them or to rescue them. This touches us. It's designed to hit our emotions. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we're reminded that we love Him because He first loved us. We're supposed to meditate on His love for us. We're supposed to meditate on the good deeds that he's performed so that we would step forward and perform good deeds as well. It impacts our life in other ways. It's going to renew the hope that we need. It's hard to press through. And it's hard to endure the scrutiny and the criticism of those around us if we have no hope. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter, who through him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We know that our faith is built on Jesus and His sacrifice and His resurrection, but have you considered that your hope has got to be built there too? That this good deed God performed in sending His Son, this good deed God performed in bringing Him up, is something that should give us greater and greater hope each day. Because God did not just give us an empty promise that He preparing a place for us so that He will one day raise us from the dead. He gives us a promise that He's already shown He can fulfill. 
that has already shown He's willing to fulfill and desires to fulfill in the life of every person who would serve Him. We want our hope and our faith to be built in God. We want our testimony to be empowered. And I don't just mean testimony in the sense that so many denominational believers use today. I mean it this way. Look back at Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, and make known His deeds among the people. Are you making known the deeds of God in your daily life? Are you telling people and showing people what God has done? Are you doing it in our worship? And the things that we study, are we spending enough time not just talking about how we're supposed to respond, but talking about how God already showed us His great character with His good deeds? Are we spending enough time singing songs that don't just have a fast beat or a a nice melody, but songs that talk about what God has done? Because when you leave worship each week, you need to have been reminded of the good deeds of God. You need to have been in an assembly where His deeds have been made known among the people or else we're going to end up just like the generations that came after Joshua, that came after the elders, that followed Joshua. There was a generation that did not know God and did not know His good deeds and they did not serve Him faithfully. And finally, I would tell you that it has an impact on our life because it inspires us to imitate Him. Peter again tells us, Who is there to harm you? if you prove zealous for what is good. God is ready to help us and to strengthen us and to protect us in our good deeds. What are we afraid of? We should be afraid of failing if we have a weak foundation. We should be afraid of messing up if we don't know what God has prescribed and what God has demonstrated Himself. But if we know His good deeds, and our standards have been appropriately defined by examining those deeds carefully, then we should get out there and serve. And not just serve in that lukewarm manner for barely getting by and for barely making it. Serve with zeal. And we're going to talk about that in the next hour. We are going to talk about the fact that God has planned on you serving with zeal. I thank you so much for your wonderful attention this morning and for your great uh, participation with us. We want to be serving this God of good deeds because His deeds are a joy to know, because they verify His character, and because they will impact our lives. I will leave you with the words of Psalm 96. And we want to read this whole psalm because this is one of those nutshell passages that is a great psalm when you feel like, you know, today I need a refresher. I need to come back and I need to think about and dwell on God's good deeds. This is the psalm that I would hope you might turn to. It's very short. Every one of us have time in our day to read it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord, look at this, it's going to start talking about His deeds. In contrast, in idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. The psalmist nailed it. Because he knew God's good deeds. And it caused him to sing. It caused him to pray. It caused him to worship with a greater zeal each day. And I hope that as you can reflect on God's good deeds, reflect even on this psalm, that you will be driven to serve Him and to honor Him faithfully. Thank you so much.